if it wasn't for the backdrop of a strong market, we wouldn't be achieving these results. So it's important to admit to that or acknowledge that to say, you know, we're blessed to have the market that we do and we're fortunate that we have the clients that we do because ultimately they're the ones that transact and, and created this scenario. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers, and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking, and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Elevate podcast producer, Cass Charlesworth, and host of today's show. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Alex Jordan of McGrath Estate Agents Paddington. A regular award winner, Alex was named the top residential sales agent for Queensland at the Area Awards 2020, along with numerous other awards in the past year. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here, but I'd like to kick off with um, the fact I recently saw you in the Career Mail ranking as the number two agent in Queensland. So how did that come about and what was that like? Um, yeah, it's always nice to, I guess, uh, get recognition for the efforts. And I think all of the agents this year have done really well. We've had a strong market, which has benefited all of us. And we're very lucky to be in this market. So very grateful that we had the opportunity. And I think for Queensland, these the numbers that the agents are writing is unprecedented. If you look at any previous year, I don't think there's ever been a year in the history of Queensland that agents have performed to this level. So it's um, it's exciting. Um, I guess the question is what happens next year, whether we see a similar trend or not. Um, but yeah, very grateful to have a, have a strong market and, and this opportunity. Would you like to walk us through some of the figures that were involved in you ranking number two as well? So uh, in terms of sales and the volume of properties sold over the year? Yeah, so the numbers that were quoted in that article are sales volume based. Um, we, we had $288 million for the calendar year at the time the article was published or the week before the article was published. Um, so this year, this calendar year, we're just over $300 million. Uh, and that's a team effort. I, that, that needs to be conveyed. It's not just myself. There's myself. There's uh, Kaya, who does our marketing and admin and contracts and everything else. And we have a team of agents that actively work in their BDAs. So those figures are a team team result, not an Alex Jordan result. Excellent. Well, let's talk about what's happening in Brisbane. You work in one of my favourite patches in Brisbane. So you're covering places like Tuong, St Lucia, gorgeous part of Brisbane. What's happening there at the moment? We've had a really strong run, Cass. We've had huge growth, upwards of 30% in most of those suburbs for this calendar year, which is the strongest year of growth I've experienced since I started in real estate in 1999. So unprecedented growth. Um, high end has done really well. I think that's been the strongest sector. So anything above two or three million has performed beyond any previous year. Um, volume initially was light. We had a low supply scenario where listing volumes were lower than average. We've started to see a pickup in volume quite substantially in Brisbane, but I'm hearing the same in, on the Gold Coast, in Noosa, 
and even uh, Sydney, Melbourne. So we're starting to see a bit of a shift in the market over the past three or four weeks where the supply side is starting to come on and we're getting a little bit uh, of a, a slower response from buyers. So the demand in terms of the inquiry online, the open house numbers, I think that's softened over the past three or four weeks. It's, it might be a short pause before we pick up again, but it's certainly a, a shift in the trend that I haven't seen for the last 12 months. Uh, and then suddenly three or four weeks ago, the market has changed a bit for us. So I'm looking forward, difficult to, to predict as always, and I hate speculating on markets, but I'm, I see a lot of uncertainty next year. Um, I know that there's a lot of agents um, that have very positive views of the next few years and, and look, those opinions may be right. But what I'm seeing in the market doesn't give me the confidence that I had this year. I've been very bullish, even beginning of last year, when the market was at a low point in March, I was very positive on the market, despite the negative press, because I didn't see any evidence of a softening um, that I could witness as an agent. So a lot of my clients that approached us to sell early last year because they were worried about a crash, we convinced them not to sell, uh, and it was a risk. And I had to say that carefully because I don't want to make a call that is wrong and then they act on my decision and they're at a loss. So, you know, I conveyed that very considerate with consideration, I should say, um, that I don't think the market's going to crash. I think there is still upside ahead. And a lot of those sellers went with our advice and they didn't sell last year. And every single one of those people came back to me to sell. And I went back in uncontested and we sold them for 20, 30, 40% higher. So they made 500, a million, 1.5 million on top of what they would have got last year, which is really nice because that sort of, you know, gave me so much, I guess, um, confidence that, wow, okay, that call was right. And, and now I can sell their property. And the, the trust was so strong. The vendor at that point did not question any of the process, whether it was the marketing campaign or the commission structure or my pricing suggestion they went with everything because we, that, you know, they followed advice that was against their opinion. It benefited them substantially on a, from a financial point of view. And from then on, that trust gave them the confidence to follow our process. It's interesting that you, you say that. I was wondering, how did you come to be an agent who works in that, that higher echelon of Brisbane's market? Because that's sort of one of the top areas that you're working in, these premium properties. How did you get to there? Uh, it didn't happen quickly for me or naturally. So I probably... I wouldn't be the best example of someone to follow. If there's agents watching, um, you can achieve more than I have in a quicker time. I was in, in the market for about 10 to 12 years um, before I got into the higher end, if you, if you could call it that. And I struggled to break into the higher end, Cass. So I wanted to. I mean, all of us agents would love to sell the higher end product because, as you know, the transaction the effort that goes into any transaction, whether it's a $500,000 property or a three or $4 million property, the effort is not much different. Now, some people assume that oh, if you're selling $3 million houses, it's going to take you longer and it's much more difficult, but that's not my experience. I would say the opposite is more accurate. I would say that at the higher end, the market is moving better. You don't get stuck on five, 10, 20 grand when you're, when you're negotiating. The seller is willing to commit to a, a strong campaign. So I had an intention to write big numbers and get into the high, high end of the market from the beginning of my career, but I struggled. 
Um, why? Um, partly because I didn't have a good process. I didn't have good systems. I wasn't in the right brand. Um, that's important because if you want to sell high-end real estate, you've got to have a, a brand or a, a profile or a perception of a, a profile that is it aligns with that. Um, sector of the market. I was at agencies that were selling low-end product. And even though I would act for vendors that had high-end property, I would sell their investment product. So for example, I'd sell a unit for 250, 300,000. They'd write me a beautiful testimonial, say, oh, the best agent we've ever dealt with. Um, we'll never go to anyone else, recommend them to family and friends. And then when they went to sell their house for one, 1.5, 2 million, they wouldn't even call me. And I went, oh, okay, what's, what have I done wrong? And that taught me a lot. It taught me that your profile, your digital footprint, you know, basically your realestate.com domain profile, your social media profile is your resume. That's your online resume. If you're selling a certain type of product, you will attract the same type of vendors. So you've got to position yourself right. And I had to transition from low to mid-end to high-end. So slowly, slowly, I started to work a new area. And there's probably another conversation around BDAs, but I went from targeting 20,000 properties over four suburbs. I narrowed it down to 700 properties, a quarter of one suburb, but that was the higher end of that suburb. So I went from inconsistent, low quality material in the letterbox to consistent, high quality material and that frequency and, and the quality and consistency got me into doors that I wasn't getting into previously. And then slowly I started to get some opportunity at the higher end and I leveraged off every single listing and sale and slowly, slowly built market share in that area. And then it's interesting because now when I get called in on two, three, four million dollar houses, I'm not getting called in on $500,000 property. And it's not that I don't want them. I would happily take them. I have a team that can support us in selling sub 1 million. But the vendor has, you know, I'm getting these calls now that where they say, oh, we, we were thinking about calling you, but we're worried that our house is not good enough. It's just a small shack. You sell all these beautiful houses. You might not be interested in ours or you might not be willing to give us the time that you would to the others. So they feel like they won't be given the attention um, that they deserve because I'm distracted with better quality product. You could call it a higher value product, which isn't the case, but it proves the point that the way you position yourself is really important. So if now, if I get a listing that is sub, let's say 500 or a million now these days, I typically don't put too much of that on my own profile. I would have another agent assisting me. They would be the lead agent. So it's important that if an agent wants to get into the higher end, they need to get on their own profile and have a look. Do you look like you're a high-end high end agent? Are you selling that type of product? If you're not, you're not going to get called in. So that needs to be considered and you need to position yourself accordingly. That's a great point. I'd like to come back to something you mentioned um, earlier and you were talking about systems and procedures. So these were things that you implemented within your routine and I guess your, your day. Can you walk us through some of the systems and procedures you changed in how you operated to gain better results and better quality listings? Sure. Um, through lack of intel or lack of knowledge, I was a very transactional agent where when I did a letterbox drop, I would be relying on that letterbox drop to get, give, get me a call, to go into an appraisal and then get me a listing to then get a sale to be paid. Uh, and it was this wheel that was nonstop where um, for me to generate opportunity, I had to continue to just keep sending these, you know, notice to residents, free appraisal letters, 
Um, and it was a very transactional business rather than what I refer to as the trusted advisor, which is more of an attraction business. So I had to reinvent, I guess, the business that I had and think differently rather than be transactional. I needed to build brand and profile. And to do that, I needed to stop asking for things and start giving things. And what I mean by that is instead of saying, would you like a free appraisal? I I'm now very statistic or data driven in my content. So everything I would send out when I shifted from, I guess, the lower end to the higher end was I wouldn't ask for anything. It would be no free appraisals. It would be, here's the top 10 sales in the last 12 months, or here's a growth chart for the last 10 years, or here's the median values for the past five years in, the, in your suburb versus the neighboring suburbs. So it was a lot of relevant and intelligent information that when the consumer picked it up, it was interesting to them. And that connected me to being, I guess, an advisor or someone that had the intel. So it's interesting because I didn't have any listings as such, but I just started communicating relevant content. And they assumed that since I know all these things, then I'm the right guy to get in and discuss their, their property. So it, that was a bit of a shift. So I thought, well, let's have a long-term approach. Let's be consistent. Let's give them relevant information that's interesting to them. And eventually that will benefit us. And, and I think that approach works very effectively. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about the 2020 areas, if we can. So this is going back 12 months ago, but you were, of course, named top residential salesperson in Queensland. How did you find out that you'd won the award? I knew that award is going to be, um, I guess, um, um, put out there, but I wasn't sure whether we'd win it or not. And I was very excited and grateful that we got that because it was a big thing. REA is the number one platform for us in Queensland. In, in terms of our marketing, and it's probably the most well-known consumer platform in Australia. Domain is close, but REA seems to be the, the number one for Queensland um, people. So for me, it was, um, I didn't know it's coming in terms of uh, that we were the winners and it was very exciting and it was unexpected and um, there was a lot of good agents in that. So it, I was very, very humbled by that award. And I think that's, that those sort of awards help build more profile and it does get you better exposure and bring opportunity. And we're very blessed to have that now because I, for 12 years, I was hustling a lot without getting much opportunity. And I feel for a lot of agents that are in that position where it's constant cold calling, door knocking, prospecting, and you're relying on that to generate a lead, to then sell, to get paid. Um, and the idea of, of the attraction business is somewhat different. It, it's that you build brand, you build, build profile, and you attract the consumer to you. So they call you in. You're not prospecting as much. You still have to work. You still have to hustle. But it's a much easier business when the, the people are coming to you uh, and they're asking you to sell their properties. And it's not skills-based. This is, this is interesting because a lot of people assume you have to be highly skilled to get those calls. There are a lot of highly skilled agents that are not getting those calls. It's not a lack of skill. It's a lack of process, branding, profile building that, that is not getting them the opportunity. But if you put some of these agents in those listing presentations, they could, they could outrank me. They could get the listing, beat me um, because they're better than me in many ways. They're just not getting the opportunity. And that's a big thing in real estate. You know, how are you going to create the opportunity? Why would the vendor call you? If they own a house that's worth $2 million, what have you done in the past two months to warrant that phone call? 
You know, what's your activity been? Because you're not going to get the call if you've done nothing. Um, it's important that you have some some background effort to get to that that stage. So um, the REA Awards, yeah, huge blessing. I'm very honoured by that. Um, the, they're releasing this year's award, I think, in the next few months. Um, I never think we're going to get any awards. I'm a, I don't know if I've got a negative <laughs> mindset, but I don't. I always don't think we're going to get any of them. So I don't know if we'll get it this year. But if if we're in the mix, we'd be we'd be very happy. Did you celebrate, or do you celebrate the awards that you received? Oh, no, no, I don't. I don't. For some weird reason, I don't celebrate the wins very well. I should, um, and I need to get better at that. Um, so no, I didn't celebrate it um, at all, or even the REB one that we got this year. I didn't celebrate it, but um, oh, it's very exciting. Um, but I've, I've just never been one that celebrated the wins too much. I just I don't know why. I, I should probably change that. When I actually sorry, um, did you did you use did you promote it at all? Did you use it for promotion? Um, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so the REA and the REB we promoted um, a fair bit on social media. Um, the REA also we did a bit of newspaper um, advertising and a billboard as well. So we we went pretty hard at that one. REB we promoted to some extent as well. We should we probably should have done it a bit more uh, strongly. Um, so yeah, both of those we did promote. And I think it's important to leverage with success marketing. It's vital, but it has to be done. This is my opinion. I'm not saying everyone follows what I do, but I think it's really important that you convey things in a, in a modest or humble tone because it's really important. Our industry, unfortunately, there's a stigma that we're you know, driving these European cars and dressed in, I don't know, Armani suits and wearing Rolex watches. And unfortunately, some some of us are out on social media behaving that way to sort of, I guess, confirm those opinions, but it's not a good look for the industry at all. It has a negative connotation. People think that we're show ponies and it shows a lack of empathy and consideration to the general public because there's a lot of people out there that are struggling um, and, you know, they've, they've lost their jobs you know, in recent times. There's a lot of that and there's more of that to come. So for us to get out there and go, oh, you know, we're number one and we did this and we did that. It's got, you know, whilst success marketing is important, there's a balance there. It's got to be done in a, in a humble tone. And I think with honesty, it's, it, it's not because of anything. Look, all the agents that are doing well right now, to be quite frank, it's market driven more than anything else. Take the market away. And, and none of us would be performing at this level. So if it wasn't for the backdrop of a strong market, we wouldn't be achieving these results. So it's important to admit to that or acknowledge that to say, you know, we're blessed to have the market that we do and we're fortunate that we have the clients that we do because ultimately they're the ones that transact and, and created this scenario. So, yeah, we did communicate it, um, but I find it there's a fine line between communicating success and sounding like you're talking yourself up. And anyone that talks themselves up in this industry, I think, gets penalised or looked at more critically um, because people, not everyone wants to see others succeed, number one, but also the amount of money agents can make compared to the average income is substantially higher, particularly when you're performing. And, you know, it, 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 it's not a nice feeling if you have lost your job and you get onto Facebook and you see a guy driving around in his Porsche with his Rolex watch and he's like, you know, I just bought this today for this or that. And we still see a lot of that on our on my social feed. Um, 
I, I don't think that's that's a nice feeling for that person. So we're very cautious in how we, I guess, convey our our results. Uh, we want a success market because it's important to let everyone know that we've got a decent track record, but we've got to do that with the right tone. Otherwise, I think it'll backfire. And it's also not in my personality. Everyone's different. Some people might be more eccentric. I'm probably a little bit more shy or reserved in my personality. So I just don't feel comfortable doing that anyway. I never have. I wouldn't even have a social media account if it wasn't for real estate. So I only went onto social media after joining McGrath, would you believe? So I was in the industry for so 14 years with no social media, and I knew it was good for business, but I just wasn't willing to put myself out there because that's not my personality. But then when I joined McGrath and the guys were like, yeah, you need to get on social. So I was like, all right, all right. I'll start a social media account with the help of a buyer's agent, actually. Wendy Russell, if she's ever listening, she's like, oh, I can help you. Why don't I set one up for you? And it was so complicated to me. I was like, oh, can you do this for me? Like, how long will it take you? She's like, oh, it's taking like an hour. I was like, all right, cool. Um, so she set it up and, and it's, it's made a huge difference. It's, it's an important part of real estate. I think every agent needs to have a very strong social media platform and, and a strategy, uh, not just for marketing their properties, but also marketing them themselves because people will go and, and look at you, study you before they make a decision on, on which way they're going. I would say your digital profile is probably influencing the client's decision on whether they choose you or not before they meet with you. So they'll buy you or not before they meet you. So we've got to get that right. We often talk about that here, actually. So the importance of the digital interview that we do for everything. So whether we're buying, you know, a car or something, we do a digital interview for lots of things. We assess it, we research. That includes the agents that we use. But then it's that content that offers value. It's giving. What's in it for, for you? Why do you care, you know, what I'm providing to you? I think that's, that's really important. I'd like to come back to something you mentioned before. You were talking about the market and how that's contributed to some great results this year. But there is talk that the market might shift um, in the coming months. Um, I, I don't want to be a crystal ball gazer either, uh, but we're hearing that more listings are coming to market so that suppliers beginning to meet that demand and that economic conditions might change, APRA might step in, all those things. What skills do you need in, a, in that sort of market as opposed to the skills that you know, agents have at the moment? Yeah, a great question, Cass, um, because we've gone from a a market where anyone can sell real estate, literally. And I've seen some comments on Facebook after that Korea Mail article. If you read the comments on Facebook, you know, the general consumer didn't have a positive view of, of the agent or agencies because they felt the agents are overpaid for what they do and anyone can sell real estate. And I have to agree in, in a strong market that we've had, anyone could sell real estate. I mean, even you don't even need an agent. You could just put a, a box and uh, at the front of your front door and, and, and open the door up, go for a coffee, let people walk through the house and they can put their offer in the box before they leave and you would find a number of offers. The, for me, the benefit of having the agent is to get a better outcome beyond what you could get yourself. And the difference between an average agent and a very good agent is a lot more than one, two or 3%. So choosing the right agent, I think would benefit the vendor substantially beyond um, any difference in commission. And that's a conversation that we have with every vendor because we pitch at 3.3% commission, which is at the higher end or highest end of the luxury market in Brisbane. And most of our competitors are pitching much lower. Um, but I think if you can convey to the vendor that your process will benefit them, 
a lot more than the difference of half a percent or 1% commission, and then they will pay you your fee as long as they're confident they can bank more. It's all about what they can bank. So to answer your question, we've gone from a very easy market. Let's assume we go into a difficult market. And the most difficult market, in my opinion, is a transition market. The transition market from bull market to bear market, as we would call it, or from strong market to weak market, is the most difficult market for agents to sell in. And the reasoning for that is that when the prices change, so for example, the market's been going up so strongly that a vendor that's wanting a million dollars because that's what they thought the house was worth two months ago. They And we sit down with them and they say, yeah, we'd like a million. Um, they're not even, um, I guess, keeping up with prices. Sometimes their expectations in this environment are conservative. So they say a million to me. I say, well, I think I'll get you more than 1.1. They're like, oh, wow, that's that's amazing. That's unusual. Normally the vendor says, I want a million and it's probably worth 800 or 900. So we've had this scenario where the vendor hasn't been able to keep up with prices because prices have been moving so quickly and new precedents are being set every week or month. So what a beautiful scenario from an agent's point of view because everything just sells like hotcakes, so to speak. Why is the transition so difficult? Because it's in reverse. So once the vendor, let's say the vendor gets their 1.1 million or has an expectation of 1.1 million, when the market turns, the buyer goes from 1.1 down to a million. The vendor doesn't come down. The vendor's still at 1.1. There's a gap and that gap needs to be closed. And that's where the skill set's coming from the agents. The agent needs to have a skill set Number one, most important skill set is to get the buyer to pay more because our job is to get the seller's price, not get the seller down to the buyer's price. So number one, they have to have good dialogue and give confidence to the buyer that they're making a long-term decision that you know small micro changes in the market should be seen as opportunity uh, rather than seeing it as a, a negative. And you can get into the market now. It's, there's been a bit of a softening. You're not paying the price that you had to pay two months ago. So you're better off. Um, and when you make a decision on buying a property, it's it's very specific. It's not, you know, for me, if I'm buying a family home, there's no two homes that are identical, really. Every house is different in some way. There are nuances, whether it has a different orientation, whether it's a different style on a different street, the frontage is wider, narrower. So every home is uniquely different. And that's something that the agent can convey to the buyer and say, well, you know, this house, you guys love this house. It suits your family. Um, let me just go through some of the other houses that I've sold in the past year. Most of these wouldn't have suited you guys. So it's about finding the right product, not just trying to get into the bottom end of the market or, you know, bottom feeding at the lower end. So the main skill set, I think, number one, is focused on getting the buyer up and giving the buyer confidence that they're making a long-term decision. And pretty much anyone that I've dealt with in my career looks back on their purchase and never has regret. So even if you paid an extra 50 or 100 or 5 or 10%, in five years' time, you look back and no one says, I shouldn't have paid that. So that's important. The other skill set is, is educating the vendor that if they are upsizing, which most people are when they're selling in the current market, they're going from the $1 to $1.1 million house that they own to a $1.5 million house. Um, now, that's a very easy conversation. If you can be clever about it, that vendor, if the market comes down 10%, that vendor is better off because the 10% that they're saving on 1.5 is $150,000. The 10% that they're losing on a million is only 100. So they've actually 50 grand better off. So in a downtrending market, if the seller is upsizing or upscaling, um, then they shouldn't be worried about that because what they're losing on the sale of their property, they're more than gaining. They're gaining more on the purchase of the next one. 
I love that. You've sold me on that one. That's a really great mathematical point. I've also heard listing presentations of your strong point. You mentioned that your fees are slightly above some of your competitors. So when you're in that listing presentation and you're talking with a vendor, what are you telling them? How are you putting your value across to them? I think the, the listing presentation, everyone's got a different process to it. Um, mine is not very structured um, and it's not, um, I don't take a laptop or an iPad or, you know, the, it's, it's conversational and it's more, I would say it's 80, 20 rule applies them, the vendor talking 80% and me talking 20%. So for me, it's questions based. I need to get a sense of what you want from this. So I'm going to ask you questions like, you know, have you given thought to where you're going to move to? And you might say, no, I haven't. And I'd say, well, that's something that's really important because there's a shortage of supply at the moment. And I'm concerned that if you sell and you're looking to buy, you're going to struggle to find something. So what's your plan? You know, where, how long do you think you'll need to buy something? So it's important to go through. I think this is really vital for me. If when I go into a listing presentation, I try and sort of calibrate my head and think this is my mum selling or if it's my friend selling, how am I going to deal with this? And if I can go in with that mindset, everything that I advise them is selfless and it's in their benefit. And, and people know when, when you're doing something that's not benefiting you because our conversations with most people is not trying to fast track the sale. It's actually the opposite. Over the past year, I've been saying, well, if you don't have to sell, then why don't you just hang on? The prices are still going up. You, there's no better position to be in. Cash is not a good position because there's no yield on money right now. If you want to put your money in the bank, there's no return. Um, so if you're in a property that's doing well and you don't have anywhere better to invest your money, and you don't really need to sell, you're just selling because you're worried about the market. Let me say to you that the market looks pretty healthy and there's no reason for you to worry about that. Um, and a lot of vendors or property owners are like, oh, that's strange that you say that. Why would you say that? Because you know, aren't you wanting to sell our property? I said, no, I'd love to sell your home. But that's the, the accurate advice is that you're selling because you're worried about a correction and I'm not seeing any evidence of that. And in reality, we're going up two or 3% per month. So in six months time, if we have this conversation, you could be three, $400,000 better off. I can't promise you that. You might be right, it might go down. But at the moment, there's no evidence of, of that or a catalyst for a correction that I'm seeing. And that was a conversation that I've had for the last 18 months. That's starting to change a little bit because I don't have that same confidence in the market. So um, I'll explain to them my opinion with a lot of caveats um, because I don't want them to make a decision on, on my opinion because I don't know, I'm speculating too. But I'm seeing a different trend. I'm seeing supply side increase. I'm seeing softening of demand. And I'm seeing a little bit of uncertainty kick in economically as well with the stock market. Um, that would be a catalyst for a trend change in real estate if we see a correction in the equities markets. And I don't think that's a far-fetched assumption. I'm seeing inflation rates in the US above 6%. I'm seeing negative bond yields once you take away the inflation rate. I study the economic side of things really um, closely because I enjoy them. So I, I read hours and hours of economics every day for the last 20 years. So I've always known this stuff or at least had some knowledge of this stuff. And in the presentation, I go through all of these things. I talk about the economy. I talk about supply. I talk about equities. I talk about yields. I talk about macro prudential measures by APRA. Uh, I talk about interest rates, uh, inflation rates. Um, lately, I'm talking about uh, add blue shortages, the diesel trucks. I don't know if you guys have heard what's going on, but Australia is running out of the diesel additive add blue. And add blue is required for more than 50% of our transport trucks. So this is within the next few weeks. So six, eight weeks, 
we're out of AdBlue. More than 50% of our trucks are off the road. We rely on these trucks for our supply in supermarkets, but also our manufacturing relies on AdBlue for their machinery. So, you know, the next couple of months, if we see a huge supply issue in the supermarkets, I mean, we saw what happened with toilet paper last year. If that hits groceries uh, and, you know, staple things, I think we're going to see a little bit of sentiment change and, and people will start to question the economy then. They'll be thinking, oh, if I can't get my milk and bread as easily as I normally have for all of our life, this is, you know, unprecedented for our generation. I think people will start to question the economy and the future. And so th those supply chain shortages, we've had those over the past 12, 18 months, supply constraint issues in building materials, um, in almost everything, there's been issues with supply chain. In the next two months, with this ad blue running out, um, I see some really uncertain times ahead. I don't know if people have figured that out yet, but they're conversations I have with every vendor. Um, we, we just speak matter of fact, factly, very honestly and openly. And ultimately, then we assess whether it makes sense for them to sell or not. And if it does, then we continue the conversation about marketing process and so on. If it doesn't, we don't go into the marketing and all that stuff because it's not relevant. So if at that point they decide, actually, Alex, you're right, I don't need to sell, I'll do this in next year, I would say, well, let's align that for a good seasonal trend and start in August, September because we get a real strong month at the back end of each calendar year. Um, we don't even go into marketing or anything. We still give them a price opinion. We talk about our preferred process, but we don't need to go into the social media campaign and all the other bells and whistles because that's not relevant. So um, conversations for me with vendors are questions-based. It's, it's based on your circumstances. I need to assess. I need to hear your story. What, what, what are you hoping to achieve? What's your ideal scenario? Is this the right move? How can I assist you? And if our thoughts align, then we take it to the next stage of let's talk about process and, and marketing. Excellent. And that seems to have worked for you. As you said, the, those, buyer, those vendors that you've spoken to and said, maybe now isn't the greatest time to sell earlier this year, they're, they're now coming back to you or they have come back across the year. Um, yeah. And, and there's strong trust. You know, it's important that, you know, unfortunately in our industry, there's an assumption, probably rightfully so, that all the agent wants to do is fast track the sale and, and get it on the market ASAP and get it sold ASAP. Now, that's not typically in the vendor's best interest, and they know that. So, And it's so sad going into these presentations and the vendors are like, oh, the other agents said the market is going to come down soon. You've got to sell straight away. And this is like a year ago or when the market's in the strongest boom ever. They're like, on, you know, the dialogue is, oh, there's never been a better time to sell. Of course, sure, it's never been a better time to sell, but maybe in two months' time it's a better time to sell or in six months' time it's a better time to sell. So I think it's important that as agents we, I guess, convey things with honesty so we don't have a negative um, stigma in our industry. Our listing presentations are very questions-based. Um, we try not to do all the talking. We want to hear what the homeowner has to say in terms of their circumstances, why they're selling, um, where are they going to live, have they given thought to the shortage of supply when they go to buy something? Um, and just to get a good gauge of their opinion before we go into our process and marketing sort of proposal, because often when we have those conversations, we can get to a point where the, the owner doesn't need to sell and they can delay their plans for six, 12 months and we can revisit it down the track. So um, it is very questions-based. Um, I do talk a lot about the economy, interest rates, inflation, 
um, macroprudential measures from APRA, what could cause a correction in the, in the real estate market, what are the catalysts, for example, stock market correction, interest rates going up, macroprudential measures, geopolitical risk. So we want to have a very educated, um, high-level conversation about the economy, about the real estate market, and give advice that the vendor can benefit from financially and, and hopefully make the right decision. Excellent. And that's all adding to that trusted advisor element that we were discussing earlier as well. Yeah. Now, Alex, I'm going to let you go shortly because I'm mindful that you're very busy, but what's next for you and your team in the year ahead? Uh, look, we, we um, are very geographically focused with our business. And I started off with one suburb or a quarter of one suburb, which was Indrapilly. We had a formula that worked. We got dominant market share in that suburb. Uh, up to 68%. Then we branched out into St. Lucia, to Ringa, to Wong. And now we're sort of replicating and scaling that same formula with the help of more agents and team members. So we've just gone into the Choma Graceful market and it's been only a few months of actively working it. And we've already uh, built dominant market share in those suburbs. We're doing Corinda Sherwood. Um, so our intention is to scale um, by by basically using the same formula and geographically spreading out into neighbouring suburbs. Um, but I think we're at a point now that we've got a lot on in terms of, well, you know, we've got more than our fair share in terms of area. Um, I'm at a point I don't really have like these big goals of, you know, getting to a bigger, I guess, um, um, business. But naturally to maintain what we're doing, that's the intention is to scale our business with the same formula and work on the neighbouring suburbs with the help of, of other agents joining our team. Excellent. That sounds exciting. And this is the last question that we ask everyone who joins our podcast. What final piece of advice or tip would you like to leave our listeners with today? Um, number one is um, belief is really important because it's easy to lose belief when you're not doing well. And I almost quit this industry in 2011 because I, I was struggling. I, the properties that I sold had flooded. I was financially broke. I had to borrow money from family to pay rent. So 10 years ago, I was almost going in to work at a different industry. Um, so I'm glad I didn't. So having belief that there is light at the end, if you're struggling, um, you can still do well, don't give up. Um, but more importantly, have strategy and process because if you don't, know how to build a strong business in this industry. You can pedal for 20 years and still get not very far, as I know others are experiencing. And for me, the number one thing to get right is your BDA. Become very narrowly focused. Um, don't go after 5,000 properties. Go after one or 2,000 properties. Be consistent. Give them quality material on a frequent basis that's relevant to them and build a profile of the trusted advisor, I think that's the best business model. And if I was put into a different market in Sydney or Melbourne, I would follow that same formula that I've done here. And it took me a long time to figure that out, over 12 years of getting it wrong. Um, but eventually it sort of, um, the penny dropped. And that's the main thing is narrow your BDA, have quality content on a frequent basis, um, provide selfless advice, add value to every conversation you have, don't segment people into tenant, buyer or seller. It's the same person at a different stage of their life. Give them equal respect, equal consideration. And I think in the long term, you will benefit 
um, from that process. Alex, that's great advice. Thank you very much for joining us today. Alex Jordan, thanks for your time. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com. 